0: So as we know, we all have the same spirit, yeah? So we're all part of the same family and um, it's good to be in the house of the Lord and praising the one saviour that we all know well and that is Jesus, isn't it? We are here because of what Jesus has done for us. So let's just pray as we come to the word of God. Lord, we just thank you that we can come to you and that you have died for us. Lord, that we are sinners and that you came and that you... Uh, went to the cross Lord that you humbled yourself Lord all the way to the cross in obedience Lord and that we can now have your salvation Lord Jesus and we thank you that your mercies are new each day and we want to turn to you and we want to fix our eyes upon you in our life Lord we pray in your holy name amen amen Well the message is very simple is that when you have Christ, you need to fix your eyes upon him. Amen? You need to fix your eyes upon the Lord. In Hebrews chapter twelve, from verse one, it says there therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, surrounding us. Now these clouds of witnesses, that is all the saints in chapter 11. And these are all the people who had righteousness through faith. Okay? This is Noah. This is Moses. These are all these people in chapter 11. A huge cloud of witnesses, all the examples of what it is is to have righteousness by faith. And because of this, this big cloud of witnesses, the response to that is you are to lay aside every incumbrance. What is an incumbrance? When you have your house and it has an incumbents on it, what is that? That is a burden. That's a mortgage, isn't it? That's a debt that needs to be paid off. And when you have the faith, there's no incumbences. That is like owning a home with nothing on it, no burden to pay off. And so because of the example of these witnesses, we are to lay aside these incumbences. We don't add to the faith. We don't add some kind of holiness through the wisdom of man, but we have the righteousness that comes through Jesus. Amen? And so as we very clearly identified this morning is that we have that faith, don't we? We have Jesus so we lay aside these other things, these burdens. And we also lay aside the sin. And what we understand is that your salvation is a journey. It's a journey. Every example in your Bible will show you that you are on a journey. Okay? In fact, the only example I can think of is those that, the criminal on the cross. He got salvation and he went with the Lord straight away, didn't he? But every other example, we think of Israel, they were going through the wilderness, weren't they? And this is a journey, journey experience. And in that journey, you're going to have some trials and you're going to be shaped by the Lord and he's going to perfect your faith. He's going to perfect the salvation that you have. And as a very young man, I think I was about 24 years old at the time, I realized that the only thing God cares about is he wants to make sure that he protects your salvation. So he will change the circumstance in your life to bring you on the path of salvation. He doesn't always give you the things you want. He gives you what is good for him and his purpose in life. As we identified, I think you... So I can't remember who it was, but they brought up that there is no such thing as luck. And that is 100% true. There's no such thing with luck with the Lord because he is working on your salvation and he is doing everything he can to keep you on that path of faith. And so we are all on a journey and in response to the faith, we lay aside the incumbences and the sin that so easily entangles us and we run with endurance the race that is set before us with endurance, and we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of that faith, who for the joy set before him endured to the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart, so guys, Jesus, who is the perfecter of your faith, does not want you to grow weary and lose heart, and he will do what it takes to keep you on that path of salvation. And part of that is you're going to have some trials, but also God will discipline you when you go the wrong way. That's what leads Paul on to say in verse 6. It says there, For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. That can sound agonising, it, at times. But this is an amazing love, is that he will do what is needed to keep you close to him. And that is what is important, is that you maintain that salvation. And what we're going to look at today is a journey. A journey, and it's Paul's journey. Okay? Paul's journey. And it's the shipwreck, the shipwreck that he went on. We're going to look at that in detail. And uh, we're going to find out what is that really telling us? What is that all about? And as we go through that, we're going to have to look at some places, some names. We're going to have to look at the Greek meanings. What is all of these places and names and people that he is meeting? And what does it mean for us and our salvation because it is a remarkable story. In fact, Paul went on three shipwrecks, and only one is detailed, and there's a reason for it. And uh, it is the most detailed shipwreck in all of your scriptures, more than Noah's Ark, more than that, more than uh, Jonah. It's very brief, but this is a detailed description of what took place. And there is so much to learn out of this event. So we're going to look at that today. Because God, Jesus, is the perfecter of your faith. Amen? He wants to keep you on that path. So what leads Paul to get on this boat? Well, in Acts chapter 21, uh, verse 28, You see, Paul is falsely accused, isn't he? He's got the Jews, and they're trying to accuse him of all kinds of things. And um, verse twenty-eight, this is when he's preaching in the temple. Says, uh, says, crying out, "This is the Jews, men of Israel, come to our aid." This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks to the temple and has defiled this holy place. So here the Jews, or the, the, the followers of the law, the keepers of the law, those who have an incumbents over them, okay, they're outside the faith, they're not following the faith, and they see this free man, he has got righteousness. And they're accusing him of teaching against the law. But guys, he wasn't teaching against the law. He was showing the fulfillment of it because he had Jesus. You understand me? He is not against the law. He is showing an example of how it can be fulfilled. But they're agitized by this. And um, the high priest, Ananias, he plots out to kill him. um, He's angered by that. In 23 verse 12, uh, it says... Sorry, not verse 12. We'll skip over to um, uh, where they agreed to uh, kill him. It is in verse 12, sorry. When it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. So this is a determination. We're going to get rid of this guy. He is causing an agitation. He is showing a fulfillment of the law which we just don't have. What we have is we have an incumbents. We have a burden. and Guys, Ananias needed to lay that aside and he needed to have Jesus as Paul did. And that is what we all have to have today. We have to lay aside the burden and we have to have Christ and we will be righteous before a God that sees him. He sees Jesus in you. And so there's this plot you see, and he wants to kill him. And what happens is is Paul is then presented to all of these officials, and they're trying to find out the wrong in him, and they can't see it. They can't identify with it. First, he is brought to Felix. He is the governor of Judea. And he's brought there, and there's an accusation against him in chapter 24, verse 5. He's brought before Felix. It says... For we have found this man a real pest and a fellow who stirs up dissensions among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. So this here is the accusation that Ananias has against him and it is so baseless. Essentially what it is saying is that we just don't like the guy. We have a difference of opinion. He's a real pest. This is the accusation against him. And so uh, this is a baseless accusation and Felix recognises that and um, he is frightened by the righteousness that he sees in Paul. In verse 24, it says, chapter 24, verse 24, it says, But some days later Felix arrived with Drusella, his wife, he was a Jewess and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Jesus Christ, but he was discussing righteousness. This is the things Paul was speaking, righteousness. He was discussing self-control and the judgment to come. Ooh, when you speak about a judgment to come, that means you need to do something, isn't it? And Felix, well... He became frightened and he said, Go away for the present time. So Felix identified this man has done no wrong. He's done no wrong, amen? He's done no wrong. But he is falsely accused and he has got chains. The Jews put chains on him. So he's being carted around with these chains. But he has done no wrong. And so what happens though is Felix holds on to him for a little while because. He's trying to get a bribe. He's full of the flesh. He's full of the flesh. He's acting in the flesh. He wants Paul to pay him a bribe. So he holds him there for two years. And in that time, a new governor comes along, and his name is Festus. Okay, so Paul is going through all of these situations where they are trying to identify a sin that is worthy of death, and they cannot find it. Festus comes along, and he's embarrassed because he can't identify what the problem is. Um, he finds no charge against Paul. In chapter 25, verse 18, again we see the accusations. It says, When the accusers stood up, this is the Jews, they stood up, they began ch- charges against him, not of such crimes as what I was expecting, but they simply had some points of disagreement with him about their own religion and about a dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserted to be alive. This is the understanding of Festus. He's not understanding what this is all about. What has this guy done? And so he's embarrassed. You see, Paul was a Roman citizen. The Jews wanted to kill him, so if he was to be handed back to them, he would have been uh, put to death by those Jews. But he is saying, "No, I'll go into the courts of Caesar." <coughs> so before he goes to the courts of Caesar, the, the governors had to try and find the charge so they could build the case against him. But at the moment, there's no case against Paul, but he's got these chains. And so he asked for King Agrippa for help. So we've got the governor, now we've got the, the King Agrippa. And King Agrippa, well, he's the same response. There is no charge against this man. No charge. And King Agrippa, we read in um, chapter 26, verse 28, King Agrippa there is hearing the case of Paul, and again Paul is speaking of righteousness, self-control, and a judgment to come. And King Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time you will Persuade me to become a Christian. This is a sarcastic response, isn't it? And the reason why it's sarcastic is King Agrippa entered that room, says there with all of his pomp, look at who I am. And guys, that is a lot to give up to follow a God, a Jesus. He says you need to walk away from all of that. If you want salvation, you need to let go of all of your own pomp because you are nothing before a righteous God. And we come to God with empty hands, and he comes with everything, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. And so King Agrippa identifies with this, and he says, soon you'll be making me a Christian, because the case is so strong against his accusations. And so what happens, though, is uh, King Agrippa, he then identifies with, and he says, uh, he took them his uh, colleagues aside and he's in verse 31 it says they began talking to one another, saying, this man not doing anything worthy of death or imprisonment. And King Agrippa said to Festus this man might have been set free if it had not appealed to Caesar. So we're seeing that King Agrippa could find nothing worthy, nothing of death. And this is what we're seeing is a testimony of Jesus, isn't it? Falsely accused. It says there uh, in verse 29, Paul says, I would wish to God that whether in a short or a long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. There are no chains when you have Jesus. So Paul is saying... I wish that you could be as I am without these chains. Because the example is there, but there's no chains. And so there's this false accusation, a false accusation. And what we know is that when you have Jesus, there is no condemnation, is there? No condemnation. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, when you have Christ, no condemnation, zero Nothing. And uh, there is a difference between condemnation and conviction. They are two different things. Conviction is the Jesus in you showing you how you are to live. He's trying to direct where you are to go. He's trying to speak to you. This is the Rema word of God. He is speaking to you through the written word. And He is directing your life. And this is a conviction. And we can't impose our convictions on other people, because then that is a condemnation. you understand? I can't tell you how to live your life. It has to come from the Lord. He is the one that directs your life. He is the one that perfects your faith. And so he's got these chains, and this is a chains of a false condemnation, isn't it? And this is what the law will do to you if you already have Jesus. You don't need to be bound up by these things. So he's got these chains, And King Agrippa identifies with this. He's got these chains showing condemnation. Felix, Festus, Agrippa, they could find no charge. And what Felix, Festus and Agrippa were doing is they were trying to look for the sin. You see, there's a difference. They're not trying to look for the law, the fulfillment of the law. They're trying to find the sin. And they couldn't see it. And it's because when you have Christ, there is no sin that can be identified with. You are set free from that. It's showing us what the redeemed life is meant to look like, is that there is nothing that can condemn you. And so Paul is a witness of Jesus, isn't he? He's there to testify Jesus. He's testifying it to Felix, Festus and Agrippa. And now he is being sent to Rome to go before the emperor, which in the context of this story, he has ultimate governance. He has the ultimate say on what is right and wrong in this context. He is the emperor of Rome. He is Caesar. So he is going to Rome. And uh, he is given a prophecy, is that this is meant to happen for my purpose, the Lord tells Paul, I'm going to send you to Rome. You've testified uh, here in Caesarea, Now you're going to Rome and you're going to be there for two years. And he tells him this. And what we're going to find is that he gets on this boat. He gets on this boat. And there are two stories happening in parallel. Okay? That's what we're looking at. There's two stories happening in parallel. And so Paul is the testimony of Christ. It angered the Jews because they are burdened. And they saw that he had his uh, righteousness from Jesus. He didn't have his own righteousness like what Ananias had. Felix was frightened because he saw the judgment that was before him. You see, Festus, well, Festus actually wanted to send Paul back to the Jews and wipe his hands clean. And uh, this is, of course, what Pontius Pilate tried to do to Jesus, isn't it? He wanted to send him back. He tried to show that he had nothing to do with the decisions that were being made. And uh, he washed his hands clean. And Agrippa, well, he could find no sin. And uh, he dismissed it. So Paul is a testimony of Jesus. He's showing us the presence of God. And uh, this is what leads Paul to even say in Corinthians is be an imitator of me as I imitate Christ. That's a bold statement, isn't it? I don't think I'd be bold enough to say that. Don't imitate me. (laughs) Imitate Jesus. Amen? But Paul is a testimony of Christ. Here's the presence of the Lord in this story. Here's the presence of Jesus in this story that we're going to look at. Okay? Here's the presence of Jesus. And he is on his way to Rome. And there's two pictures happening here we got the first picture which is that god has sent him to rome he is a righteous man he's got christ and he has a task to do He's been told to go to rome and what we're finding in that story is that when you are obedient to god you can have big trials come up but god uses it for his purpose amen he will use those trials in amongst that trial he set up a church in malta And there he was ministering to those people for three years on this island. That was not part of the plan, according to Paul. But God made it part of his plan. Amen. So there are trials, and there are going to be joy in those trials. That's what James tells us. You need to have joy in those trials. That's the big picture. But today I want to look at the small picture. That's what I want to focus on today. And that small picture is a salvation story. Okay, it's the salvation of one man. His name was Julius. This is the small picture. In the big picture, so there's two things that we can see in the Word of God in this uh, account, and they are acting in parallel. The smaller picture is that there's a shipwreck. Okay, this shipwreck of Paul, and it's showing us that salvation is of the Lord and we are not to go our own way we are not to go our own way we sang it just before it was a good song I was singing it loud (laughs) That's what we are we need to follow the ways of God so let's read this Uh, Acts 27 verse 1 to 6 Says when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius, and embarking in an ad, sorry, adram, adram, adram adrami, oh, I can't even say that word, adromanian ship. That's the one, <laughs> adromanian ship which was about to sail to the regions across the coast of Asia, we put out to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thelassonia. The next day we put in at Sidon and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. That's a good thing, isn't it? Allowed him to do that. From there, we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus, because the winds were contrary. When we had sailed through the sea through the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There, a centurion sorry there, the centurion, found an Alexandrian ship, sailed for Italy, and he put us aboard it. a new boat. So we find that there's a centurion. His name is Julius. And he is in command. Julius is. And he gets on this boat. And this boat is surrounded by water, isn't it? And guys, that water is death. You go into that water, you're dead. Done. In the scriptures, when you look at this, you'll find that the waters is always the death. When Jonah got tossed off that boat, he went down to the deep. And for all purposes, he died. That's why when Jesus says that the only sign you'll get is a sign of Jonah, it's talking about resurrection. That Jesus came, he died, and he rose from the dead. He was in that uh, fish for three days, and then he came out and he saved Nineveh, didn't he? The world. This is what Christ has done. He went down into the depths. And when... He went down into the depths. He said, The water encompassed me to the point of death. He was dead, guys. Jonah died for the purpose of understanding that story. We understand that when Jesus was on the boat and the storms are being tossed around, what do the disciples cry out? Sorry? Save us. We're about to perish. They could see the water. It's coming in as death is approaching. And then what does Peter do? He goes and thinks he can walk on the water. We can't walk on the water, can we? We can't conquer death without Jesus. And then so he starts sinking and then he cries out, Father, save me. The water is death, guys. And so this boat, Julius' boat, he's not seeing the water at the moment. He's quite happy. And that is what the world is. They're quite happy with their life. Comfortable pursuing their own ideas. Okay, He's the commander of this boat. And this boat is in control of Julius. And uh, Julius is the ambitions of the inner man. He is in control. He's taking authority of his own life. I am number one. I am boss. Yeah, This is the life of the world. I am boss. I'm going to do what I want to do. He's in control. And this is his vessel, guys. It's his boat. He's in control of that and uh, he's got authority put on him by the, law, uh, by the world and he is taking pride in that and this is his boat. And this boat, guys, an Adramitian ship, well, in the Greek that word means I shall abide in death. It is the courts of death. That is what that word actually means. It is destined to perish and he will go down with it. This is the wrong boat. It's not the right boat. He needs to change, doesn't he? He needs to change. But what he does is he has his, Paul's friend, Aristarchus. Okay, he lets him on board. He's a very close friend of Paul. And uh, he, his friend there, Paul's friend, he suffered on Paul's behalf. He suffered, uh, took on a few punches there with persecution when they went to the theatre and Paul wanted to get in and help him, but he couldn't. So he has suffered for Paul's sake as well. And um, this is the testimony of Jesus, isn't it? His friend. He is testifying of who Paul is. It's real. He's got these chains. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's the testimony of who Paul really is. Okay? And so we've got this testimony. And his name means best Master. How about that? Best master in the Greek. That's what his friend's name actually means. So he is trying to tell him, you know, you need to change your master. You need to change masters. And when we change masters, we change boats. We are a new creation, aren't we? We will change. Thank you for your prayer. It is an amazing thing when we become a new creation. An amazing thing. And so, he's changing boats. And it's because what happens is, in verse 3, it says, the next day we put in that Sidon, okay, and Julius treated Paul with consideration. Sidon is a Phoenician city, isn't it? Does everyone remember the Phoenicians? Jesus had some good dealings with those people, didn't he? In the Gospels. Let's have a look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. It says, Then he began to denounce the cities. This is Jesus, of course. In which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For the miracles had occurred. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the city of judgment than for you. Jesus is identifying with these two cities of Phoenicians. Phoenicians had a false god of healing. That's why Jesus did a lot of healing to Phoenicians, didn't he? He is cutting down that false god. I am the healer. That's what he's telling the Phoenicians. That is what they worshipped, was a false god of healing. So he is there, and uh, in fact, there was the the woman that had the demon-possessed daughter, and she is one of the first Gentiles that I can see that comes to Jesus with the faith. They are repentant people, guys. And it's saying there that if I had done the things to, to you that I did in Sidon and Tyre, The whole nation would have been repentful. And this is the response of the Phoenicians, is that they are wanting Christ, they are wanting it, and they are responding to it because they are getting convicted and they are repenting. So here, what is happening? We've got Julius going past the city of repentance, aren't we? He's going past the city of repentance. And when you repent, you are identifying with your sin, aren't you? that is an identification and when you identify your sin that is when you will consider the testimony of Jesus and that is what's happening in Acts chapter 27 there verse uh, 3 let's go back there guys when the Lord spoke to me to bring this message I got excited as I was discovering these things and uh, I want to take you on this journey as well Let's have a look at the scriptures today. Acts chapter 27. So he goes and he stops at the city of repentance. And Julius, the inner man, treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends to receive care. This is what he's saying is that he's got the friends of Paul in there and he wants to match it up to what his friends are doing. Do they actually love Jesus? Do they lo- are they going to care for him? And he sees that it's real. This is a real God. And when you come and you see the testimony of the saints, we can see here today that we all love Jesus, don't we? And this Jesus is real. And they take care of him. And so he is seeing here that Christ has come. And he has delivered us. And he is a real God. And he will take care of your sins. And there's repentance of heart. And he considers the ways of God. And he allows God, or Jesus, we want to call it that. Paul is the presence of Jesus in the boat, guys. He allows Christ to be considered in his life. And he wants to present it to the friends, the the people that are already following him. He's got friends in the boat who know Jesus. And that is a miracle as well. The very fact... That Paul even steps into this boat is a miracle, isn't it? He is not meant to be there. Those chains are false. He's not even meant to be there, but he is in this boat as a testimony of Christ. And that is because all of our salvation salvation is a miracle. It is orchestrated by God, and he places Christ, the testimony of Christ, in there. And all we have to do is consider it, don't we? And we need to listen to that message. So what happens then is he hears and considers the message. And from verse 4, he went on. It says there that from there he put out to sea and he sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. Now the Holy Spirit is directing you to where you need to go. And this is what it is when we get saved, as you are directed by the Lord. And he is the one that saves. I can't save anybody. It doesn't matter what I say, how good an argument I'd present. Unless the Holy Spirit directs you to be saved and he does his work and he enters in, then there's a transformation. And so we rely on these winds, don't we? He still wanted to go, his no, okay, I'll forget about that for a bit. I want to continue on my way. But the Holy Spirit brought him to a new place, didn't he? a new place. And he brought him to Myra and guys, if you haven't come to Myra yet, you need to come to Myra. Everybody needs to come to Myra at some point in their life. If you haven't been there, we're going to pray for you maybe. Pray for you. Everyone has to come to Myra. You can't not come to Myra. If you haven't come to Myra yet, you are going against the, the Spirit of God. And you need to come to Myra and receive a new vessel. And Myra in Greek, well, there's some amazing things going on here. Myra in Greek means flowing out with cost. Flowing out with cost. How about that? What is the cost of your new creation? Jesus. The sacrifice. And what flows out? The Holy Spirit, grace, new mercies, every morning, because of all of this, the costs. And there's an exchange. You need to turn from your old life and have a new one, don't you? So there's an exchange. Myra is the place of exchange, isn't it? We all need to come to Myra. Don't turn away from Myra and go your own way. Come to Myra. Receive Jesus. And so there's a change of master. But you know, when you first get saved, it's a learning experience, isn't it? It's not an instant thing that you are now all of a sudden, you know everything about the Lord and which way you need to go. You need to start hearing him and being directed by the Lord. And uh, it takes uh, the Lord to change you. But he is in you now, and that is a treasure to have. He is ready, and he is able to do the work. Okay, and that's what we're going to look at. And so there's this new vessel. And uh, we know the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. I'll read that out. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. These are the things that can come, guys, and it will come, but you are a new creation. And it is an earthen vessel. It is earthen. It is perishing. It's not forever. It's perishing. And uh, I'm grateful for that because, you know, it's not the best vessel I've ever had. There are times where it's achy, isn't it? In fact, the last week, uh, I've been very sick the last week and uh, that just shows that the weakness of your vessel, it doesn't always stack up. It has its moments. But it's perishing. And uh, he got on this new ship, and it's an Alexandrian ship. What is an Alexandrian ship? It is an Egyptian ship. It is earthen. It is perishing. It is not lasting forever. It is Alexandrian. It is Alexandrian. What they call the Alexandrians were the Jews that lived in Alexandria, and they were from the, uh, the capital of Egypt at the time. It's an Alexandrian ship. It is an earthen vessel, isn't it? But in that is a treasure. There's a treasure in there. And so Paul gets on this Alexandrian ship. And this is showing us what the new creation looks like. There's the centurion. There's Julius. This is the inner man. This is the will of man. And he requires Jesus to empower him to do the will of God. You see, if you don't have Jesus in there, you are not going to please the Lord in any way whatsoever. It doesn't matter what you do, because what we're going to find is that Jesus is the one that directs it in the right way. He's the one that shows you where you are to go. And if you don't have Christ in there, nothing you do will please the Lord. You need to have him in there. And so Julius is the inner man. And then we have the soldiers. The soldiers. And they're just wanting to enforce the law, aren't they? The soldiers. We're told in uh, Romans chapter 7 that there's a battle within, and um, unless you throw Christ in that mix, the law will never eventuate. When we read the account, the soldiers do nothing. They are not empowered into any way to do anything except for one verse, and it's very important. One verse. And so it's Jesus who empowers the commands of God in you, isn't it? He empowers it. Uh, It says there in Romans 7 that I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. So Julius concurs with the soldiers. But unless the Spirit of God is in there, the soldiers are not able to do much. And uh, what we understand is that the soldiers are just busy condemning the prisoners. Yeah? Yeah? The prisoners, there are prisoners on this boat. There's a few things going on here, isn't there? And this is your life. This is what your life looks like, isn't it? There's the sailors. Ooh, what are they for? Well, they're the work of the flesh. The sailors, all they want to do is look after the vessel. That is all they are concerned about in this story. They are continually just thinking about the boat. They're not even thinking about where it's going. They just want to look after the boat. These are the sailors, guys. This is the flesh. And the flesh wants the desire to look after the body. It wants to fulfill the desires of the body, doesn't it? This is what the sailors are there for. And they want to look after the vessel. And the sailors keep wanting to go their own way. Don't they? The prisoners are in there and that is the sin in your life. This is what it looks like on this journey, isn't it? The prisoners are in there. This is your sin. And then there's the friends of Paul and that is the testimony of Jesus through what you have heard. Evangelists, preachers, the friends, the testimony, the saints, the written word, what we can read in the Bible, the scriptures, the characters that are in your scriptures there. And then there's Paul himself and he comes in and in this account This salvation story. He is Jesus coming into your life. And he walks in and he did no wrong. He did no wrong. He was falsely accused. He came into that boat with chains. And this is what it looks like when Jesus took on sin, isn't it? For your salvation. If Paul didn't come in on those chains, he wouldn't have been there. He would have been out preaching the gospel somewhere else. Free man. He comes in and it's a miracle, isn't it? That he enters into this boat. He's got chains on. He is falsely accused. This is what Jesus is to us. He was falsely accused, but he took on that sin so that you could be saved. Let's have a read on. So we've got this vessel, this vessel, and this vessel is your life. Acts 27 verse 7. When we had sailed slowly for a good many days and had, with great difficulty, had arrived off Snidus, since the wind did not permit us to go further, now guys, what this is saying is the sailors wanted to go between Snidus and Crete, I think it is, and there's a nice little strip there which is protected, it's comfortable, and uh, this is what the flesh wants to do, isn't it? It wants to do what is good for your body, comfortable. And he wanted to go that way, but the wind did not permit it. The Holy Spirit is direct. You are newly saved. You need as much guidance as possible, don't you? You need the Lord. This is what God does, is he directs your life. And um, instead of going the way of the sailors, they went further and um, they sailed under the shelter of Crete, off Salmon, and with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a place called Fairhavens, near which was the city of Sea. And so they're going past where the sailors wanted to go and um, they're finding that they, uh, with great difficulty, we're told, is that they sail past, they don't stop, at Salmon of Creek. And we've, uh, in our fellowship, we've been going through the, the story of Exodus and um when israel finally left egypt pharaoh thought he had them trapped didn't he i've got them and he had two ways for israel to go according to the enemy either you go the path of the philistines or you go back to egypt okay and so what that is showing us when we looked at that in our fellowship is that the enemy wants to burden you up and he only knows two burdens One is the sin, and one is the incumbents. This is righteousness through flesh. Okay? This is what the enemy knows. He wants to burden you. He doesn't want you to be free and to have righteousness through faith. The cloud of witnesses. And following their example. And so, with great difficulty, this is an attack, guys. This is the enemy trying to pull you into something else that's not right. And uh, with great difficulty, they sail past Salmon of Crete. In the Greek, Salmon means clothing, and Crete means carnality, righteousness of flesh. How about that? This is where the enemy would want you to be. If you have received him, he wants to bind you up with something else, another burden. Uh, Paul identifies it in Colossians, doesn't he? Things that are good for the body but of no good for sin. Do's, don'ts. Don't eat this. Conduct yourself this way. Do all these things. And these are all things that the man has told you to do. This is condemnation, isn't it? This is things that man wants you to do, not what Jesus has told you to do. Jesus wants you to listen to him, not to have righteousness through the flesh. And so with great difficulty, the enemy is trying to drive them to somewhere else. They had the way of the sailors, and instead, with great difficulty, they passed this. And where does God place them? Well, he puts them in fair haven. And this is a good place to stop, I think, I would like to just stay there. That sounds like a nice place, doesn't it? Fairhaven. Fairhaven. So the sailors wanted to get protection from Crete, and they wanted to go between the mainland and the island, but the Spirit of God directed them elsewhere. And they asked to stop at Fairhaven. Fairhaven is showing us a very good fellowship. And, um, you know, we need to be directed by the Lord where we are to fellowship. And I can see the presence of God here. And you guys are all here because you've been directed by the Lord. And um, praise God for that. And uh, when you get saved, what you need is you need to be grounded in truth, don't you? You need to be prepared. You need to be equipped. And it's important that you fellowship where God has sent you. And he sends people to different churches where they are going to be discipled in truth in a way that speaks to them. And um, obviously there's different churches and fellowships, but um, they all need to be discipling the new believers, don't they? You need that. That is important. And so God, through his Spirit, he forces them to this place. And he doesn't leave you out to dry. He wants you to be surrounded by his people. And he brings uh, this vessel to Fairhaven and he saves them from this righteousness through the flesh stuff. He saves them from going in a path of bondage to sin. And he brings them to Fairhaven. And this is where we all need to be, is we need to be fellowshipping with those who preach the word of truth. Don't go somewhere else. Go to Fairhaven, good fellowship. Fairhaven in the Greek. Carlos, good. Lehman, harbour. It's meant to be for a season. You stay there for a season. In fact, it even tells you that it was not forever. It was for the winter. Go there for a season and then be directed by the Lord where you are to go. So we need to have a good fellowship, And be grounded in truth. But the sailors, well, they had another plan. This is the flesh speaking now, isn't it? So there's this battle within. Are we seeing the picture here? There's this battle going on. And the sailors, they think, no, we know better. And um, Paul stands up and gives them a very strong warning. This is the conviction I'm telling you about. This is not condemnation. This is a conviction. Let's read verse 9. Let's go there. When considerable time had passed and when the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them. That is to warn, to warn them. And they said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Okay, this is a warning. In other words, stay in Fairhaven. Don't move from this place. i have put you there. Stay there. Don't move from that place. You need to be grounded in truth. But the sailors had another idea. And this is the trap we can fall into, isn't it? Is that we can decide to go our own way. But you know, God loves you so much that he will make sure that you will have a renewed brokenness anyway. Because he is always in that boat with you. And he cares about your salvation. He wants to perfect it. Amen. And so this is how Jesus works as well, As he allows you to do these things. Okay, well, you do that. We'll see how that works out. See how that turns out for you. So verse 11. says, But the centurion, or Julius, was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship, these are the sailors, than by what was being said by Paul, because the harbour was not suitable for wintering. The majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there. If they somehow could reach Phoenix, a harbour off Crete, facing southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So the sailors were looking at it and going, hey, this isn't good for the boat, guys. It's not good for the boat. And they're trying to find another fellowship that suits them better. Another place where they think they might get some truth, some discipling, but they're looking at it in the flesh. It's not good for the boat. It can't harbour properly there. And unfortunately, this is the trap of many churches today, is that they are wanting to appease a good harbour in the eyes of sailors and not a good harbour in the eyes of the Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Amen. So we are not to appease the flesh when we meet together in the name of the Lord. We want to have a harbour where the Lord is preached and lives are changed through the Spirit. Forget the programs and all these other things. Forget all that stuff. Come to the heart of it. What is Jesus speaking to us about? Don't be persuaded by the flesh and try and find some other place that's going to suit your needs better, a better harbour for the boat. Find a harbour for the Spirit. Amen? Forget that. But they take the the advice of the sailors and uh, it says there that Julius was persuaded by this. In other words, the inner man is listening to the flesh now. He's persuaded by that. And he takes a step out of disobedience and he goes the wrong way. And this is what it is all about in the Christian life, isn't it? Is that we have trials and we have discipline, don't we? We have the two. The big picture of all of this is Paul in obedience and he is going through a trial. He's going through a trial. The small picture is a salvation story and he is going through discipline. you understand? Julius, his vessel. And so find the place where the Lord wants you to meet and be ministered to. Don't look for a place of the flesh. And in verse 13 it says, when a moderate south wind came up supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along creek, close inshore. And in verse 14, but before very long they rushed down from the land, sorry, but before very long they rushed down from the land a violent wind called Uroquillo. A violent wind, oh boy. A violent wind and they had a name for it. You know what that means? That means it's familiar. It's the sailors that had a name for it. We've hit the wind of Uroquilo. And uh, this is because they could identify with that. Uroquilo in Greek very simply means wind of the east. That's all it means, wind of the east. And now we are familiar with that. They know that in the the times, there's times that you're not meant to travel through this region of the Mediterranean. Uh, October, I think it was, in September, the winter months. And they were met with this wind, Uriquilo, wind of the east. And the wind of the east in your scriptures is the mighty hand of God. That's what it is. It's the mighty hand of God. There's plenty of examples of that. There's Joseph with his dream. Well, it's the wind of the east that came and brought the famine. This is the judgments of God. Okay. There's Moses when he was parting the Red Sea. This is redemption now. The mighty hand of God. It's the wind of the east came and parted the sea. This is the mighty acts of God. Wind of the east when uh, Moses lifts up his hand and the locusts come, judgment on Egypt, it's the wind of the east. The wind of the west took them away. You understand? This is the wind of the east in your scriptures. It is the mighty hand of God and it is familiar. When you have Jesus, you know what is happening. You know in your heart. You know that this is the Lord that is speaking to you. And it is fierce sometimes. It can try and direct you. And he wants to bring you back to a renewed brokenness. You had repentance, that's it, and that's great. But there are times when we go astray, isn't there? I can testify to it. We all do it. And uh, we need to recognize these things, don't we? And turn back to truth. And so they went their own way. And it's showing us in Hebrews chapter 12, what does it say? God disciplines those he loves. You've got children, I've got two girls. I love them and so I discipline them. I want them to grow up, to know the authority, and to obey authority and to know the Lord through that. It is what it's all about, isn't it? You love your children and God loves you more than anything else. And so he sends in this wind, wind, aquilo, Aquilo, wind of the east. And what we find is that this is a familiar thing and it's familiar because the scriptures will tell you that it's his chastisement. What does it say in Psalm 23? Your rod and your staff, what does it do? It comforts me, doesn't it? It is a familiar, you identify with this, it is familiar. And so we need to be comforted by the fact that God is always directing you in the way you are to go. He doesn't abandon you and leave you out and uh, go on a path of uh, false faith, if you want to call it that. Understand? And so here God is chastising him. He is perfecting your faith. We read that in here. He is the perfecter of your faith. And what happens though is they're busy trying to do their own thing. Let's have a read there. Verse 15 to 20 says, and when the ship was caught in it, they could not face the wind. They gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along, running under the shelter of a small island called Clauder, where th- we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. And after they had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables in undergirding the ship and the fearing that they might run aground in the shallows of Cyrus, they let down the sea anchor and in this way let themselves be driven along. The next day we were asking, sorry, the next day we were being violently storm-tossed. They began to jettison the cargo and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard in their own hands. Since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no storm, small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of being saved was gradually abandoned. This is a sad place to be. We're seeing a lot of activity, aren't we? And this is the work of the sailors. They're all trying to do their thing. They're throwing stuff overboard, the, the tackle. They're trying to fix their life up. You see the wind of the aquilo. He's showing you that you are in the wrong place. I wanted you in Fair Havens, you've gone your own way, and now you're going to be directed by me. Where to from here? And so, this is showing us that you're trying to clean up your life, yourself. You're throwing stuff out. You, uh, almost, you're almost trying to lower the emergency boats. You're trying to get off the boat. You're trying to find another way, another, another faith almost. This is another way out. And uh, this is all the work of the flesh, isn't it? trying to sort it out and you will go on that way you can be on that path for a little while but eventually you'll be left feeling like you're uh, without hope it says there in verse 20 that they started to feel since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no storm small storm was assailing us From then on, all hope of being saved was gradually abandoned. That's that's how we can be left, isn't it? We've all been in these places, haven't we? But you know what? Who stands up? When they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up in their midst. And this is what. This is what. Excuse me. This is what Jesus is for us. He reminds us of that conviction, doesn't he? That warning. And he doesn't abandon you we can go the wrong way at times but he's always with us he wants to see you saved he stands up this is a gentle thing isn't it this is gentle this is the way Christ works in us it's a conviction isn't it he's trying to lead you the way you are to go he doesn't leave you left feeling without hope abandoning all hope of being saved that is not where we need to be that is where you are today, we need to pray. We need to pray. Because Jesus can stand up in your life and show you where you've gone wrong and he can show you which way to go. Which way to go. And Paul doesn't do an I told you so speech to try and rub it in, does he? He doesn't care about that. He doesn't care about what you've done, the mistakes you've made. He cares about where you're going. And in verse 22, or 21. When they had gone a long time without food, food is obviously, we can think about that as well. Then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Yet now I urge you, keep up the courage. This is the message of Jesus now. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only this ship. This is the reminding of the gospel. You have a ship which is perishing, but think about the goal ahead. You will not die. You will not lose life. Yes, this ship is going to fall apart. This is a renewal of the faith, isn't it? This is a it's reigniting you with the message of Jesus is that you have this end goal. It is that you are going to be with the Lord. Amen. And your ship will perish. Yes, the ship will break up. But there will not be loss of life. Verse 23 to 25, we overlap to the bigger picture of what Paul is doing. He's on his way to Rome. It says, For this very night an angel of the Lord to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men. We're back to Julius now. Okay, so we've got the two things happening, don't we? Paul as a man, and he's going through a trial, isn't he? And then we've got Julius. Therefore, keep sailing, keep up the courage. For I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. Look to the shore, guys. There's coming a day when this boat that we are on, this earthen vessel will run aground and it will break up. And we'll be on that shore. And there's the chastisement. And uh, we need to fear the Lord. And uh, we don't fear death. We don't fear death. In verse 27 to 32, we're reading here that the sailors, that's the flesh, it is fearing death still. It's still fearing death. We don't need to fear that death. Let's read that. But when the 14th night came, as we were being driven out in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms a little further. They took another sounding and found it to be 15. Fearing that they might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. There is a fear of death approaching by these sailors. We are not fearful of death. We just spoke it. Thank You for the Communion. We are not fearing that. It is something to look forward to. So, what we're going to find in this very moment is the first step in the spirit that we read of in this example. There's a step in the spirit. There's a step in the spirit. Verse 30 But the sailors were trying to escape the ship and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow. So they're pretending to abandon the boat for some good thing that might help the maintenance of it. But in verse 31, Paul said to the centurion, he said to Julius, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Don't go into those emergency boats. Those emergency boats are empty. They don't have Christ in them. Philosophy of man. Yeah? Uh, Colossians, I think it is. Philosophy of man. Empty deception. Jesus is not in those boats. And what is this? There's a response in the Spirit. Then the soldiers, this is the command of the law now. Then the soldiers cut away those ropes and the ship's boat, and it fell away. Cut it off. There is no other way. To that shore, except through the salvation of Jesus and he needs to be in that boat. Don't go in an empty boat. Cut those off. And this is a step in the spirit. When you step in the spirit, then you have that communion with Jesus, isn't it? That fellowship. What do we read of in the Gospels? Jesus dined with his disciples, didn't he? He had fellowship with them. And that is what we have when we have communion. We're fellowshipping with each other, which is great. We're commanded to do that. But we are also fellowshipping with Jesus. And then so in verse 33 to 36, that's where I want to be. That's where I want to be in this vessel. If we can stay in verse 33 to 36 and just remain there, that's a good place too. Verse 33, it says, Until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food, saying, Today is the... 14th day that you have been constantly watching and going about eating, having taken nothing. Therefore I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation. For not a hair on your head or any of you will perish. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Not a hair. This is the words of Jesus. Not a hair on your head. This is communion with Jesus. You took a step in the spirit, now you have a closer relationship with the Lord. You cut those emergency boats off. You cut them off. Now you have fellowship with Christ. And uh, we're coming to the end here, guys, is that we aren't to fear death. Amen. The soldiers were fearful of that. And they feared death. They saw death approaching. But we are to not fear that. And we have communion with Christ. And um, it's a renewing. And in verse 39 to 40, this is very important. <coughs> when the day came, they took sorry. When when the day came, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a bay with a beach, and they resolved to drive the ship into it. And casting off the anchors, they let them into the sea. While at the same time, they loosened the ropes of the rudders. They let that go, and hoisting the foresail to the wind. Guys, this is disarming the flesh. The sailors, they're in control of the boat by the anchors, aren't they? They drop an anchor and the boat turns around one way. The rudder is there to direct it. This is all the workings of the flesh, isn't it? We are having communion with Christ. You are no longer walking in the flesh. You are walking in the spirit. And the the ways of the flesh are being cut off. It's being dealt with now. And now what happens is he puts up the sail. Amen. Everything else is being done away with. The only thing directing this ship now is the sail. And it is gone full steam ahead to the finish line. And that is the description we read of in Hebrews, is that you are running that race full steam ahead. Nothing is holding you back. And you are being led by the Spirit, the wind. Amen? The wind. And you are going to hit that shore, and you are going to be saved, and we're going to find out here that you need to have Jesus with you. In verse 42, it says, the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners. Guys, there is no condemnation when you have Christ. The soldiers wanted to do away with the sin and condemn it, But then what happens here is that he says, Julius says, uh, the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention. And uh, he wanted to bring Paul with him, didn't he? We come to the shore with Jesus and the soldiers will not condemn us. There is no condemnation there. And we have Christ. And they come through and they pass through the waters and uh, they are saved. Amen. They're with the Lord. And this is the salvation story we read of, isn't it? So we've got two things happening here. Salvation of Julius. And it's showing us all the things that can go on in your life. And most likely will. And I can testify to all these different circumstances in my walk with God. And we have these moments, don't we? But we see the shore ahead and if we read on further, which we won't, is that we find that there is no sting of death. What does that viper do? He tries to latch on to Paul, and uh, everyone thought he was going to die. There is no sting. You have conquered death. Amen? And so, there's Myra. Everyone needs to come to Myra. If you haven't come to Myra, you need to come to a place of exchange, You need to have a new creation. And then there's Fairhaven. Stay in the fellowship that the Lord has asked you to stay in. You need to be fed in the word of God and you need to stay where God has directed you and you need to fellowship and be grounded in truth. Amen.